John chapter 18. We are entering into the last hours of the life of Jesus Christ on this earth. And He's about to go to the cross. Last week we looked at the arrest of Jesus Christ and we saw that He was, he was in complete control of every step of it. They came and they, they said, He said, who do you seek? He walked out to meet them. Can you imagine walking out to meet an army? That's what Jesus did. He wasn't afraid at all. He was in complete control. They said, Jesus of Nazareth. And He said, I am He. And they were blown back on their backs. And then He said again, while they're on the ground, Whom seek ye? And I can just imagine the answer, Jesus of Nazareth. Well, I've already told you I'm Him. What do you want? And so they had come to take Him. And so He walked to them and He said, Take me, but let these go. He stepped between the enemies and His disciples. And He told, He commanded the officers and the soldiers sent from the high priest. He commanded them to let the disciples go. And what did they do? They let them go. He was in complete control. That's our Savior. And by sending His disciples out, He freed them to do the work that He had called them to do. He had given them jobs to do. Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He had told them to establish the church. He had told them to preach the gospel, to baptize and make disciples. And you know what we do today? We preach the gospel, we baptize and we make disciples. And then we send them out to preach the gospel and baptize and make disciples. We are doing the work that Jesus Christ freed His disciples to do. That's our job, and that's what we're doing at Grace Baptist Church. And that's where we left our text last week. So look with me at John chapter 18. And I want you to see something. Look at verse 10. Then Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it and smote the high priest's servant and cut off his right ear. And the servant's name was Malchus. Then said Jesus unto Peter, Put up thy sword into thy sheath. The cup which my Father hath given me, shall I not drink it? Then the band and the captains and officers of the Jews took Jesus and bound him and led him away to Annas first, for he was father-in-law to Caiaphas, which was the high priest that same year. Now Caiaphas was he which gave counsel to the Jews that it was expedient that one man should die for the people. Isn't that interesting? Caiaphas said it's expedient, it's good, it's helpful for us if one man should die for the people. Do you think Caiaphas knew what he was saying? I don't. I don't. Folks, I want you to think about something. It's time for us to stand. It is time for us to stand. How many of you saw that school out in Washington State that banned playing tag on the playground. How many of you saw that on the news? They banned playing tag because it's too dangerous. Now, i got to tell you, when tag is too dangerous, we have become a soft people. Amen? It's just, it's just true. And there were 417 parents that came out to, said, to say, it's ridiculous that my kids can't play tag. Amen? What did they do? They took a stand. For tag. In Troy, they said that 
a girl that thinks she's a boy can use the, the boy's bathroom. She needs counseling, right? She's got something wrong with her. And 100 parents showed up. 417 for tag and 100 saying that it's okay for a child to determine their own gender. I thought these were the people who believed in science. What does science tell us about gender? Well, you have boys and you have girls. Is that science? Is that science? Very interesting, isn't it? Folks, it's time for us to stand. But we can no longer be quiet. It's time for us to stand. Now, I've not heard whether or not something like that has happened in Sydney or in Anna or in Piqua or in our surrounding communities. I've not heard whether or not those types of things have happened. The question is, are we going to stand? Now, let me tell you this. I don't know that it's the teacher's responsibility to stand. They can make their voice heard. Amen? They can make their voice heard. But the teachers are bound by the administration. Who is the administration bound by? It's supposed to be you. Is that right? So we as Christians, we must have our voices heard. I've said this for years, that if Christians had said, no, we're not going to work on Sunday, if, if every Christian in America had said that, the factories would not be open on Sunday. You know, there are enough Christians in America to shut down the factories on Sunday. But their God is not the Bible, the God of the Bible. Their God is the God of money. And so we as Christians, we must take a stand. And this text gives us a, a tremendous picture of when it's time to stand. Look at verse 14. Now Caiaphas was he which gave counsel to the Jews that it was expedient that one man should die for the people. When worldly leaders stand against us, that's when it's time to stand. When worldly leaders stand against us, that's when it's time to stand. What he said was it's expedient that one man should die for the people. What he was saying is, you know what, it would be good if Jesus would die. And you understand that we have a culture today that wants to kill Jesus. They want to kill Jesus in the public sphere. They do not want His voice to be heard. How is the voice of Jesus Christ heard in the public sphere? Through Christians. Let's step that back. Through you and through me. In the public arena, we are His voice. Keep your place in John chapter 18 and go with me to 1 Corinthians I'm sorry, 2 Corinthians, chapter 5. Verse 17, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And the people said, 
Amen. Are you thankful to be in Christ today? Are you thankful that He's made you a new creature, forgetting those things which are behind and looking ahead, to, to, looking forward to those things which are ahead? I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. I can do that because I am a new creature in Christ. Amen. Look at the next verse. And all things are of God who hath reconciled us to Himself by Jesus Christ and hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation. And we know what it means for a parent to be reconciled with a child. You know, a child runs away and... and how many of you ever lost a, lost a kid at Walmart? All right? And most of the time, or whatever store it is, and they're in one of those rounders. You know? And you look around and, and, and the kid is inside the thing. And as soon as you look around and you don't see him, what happens? Man, your heart just falls. You're scared. How many of you that happened with you, right? You're scared to death. You just can't believe it. And then you find the child. And what's your first instinct? I'm going to kill this kid. <laughs> and it's funny how you have those, those competing emotions happening at that same moment. Well, imagine that child has wandered off and security finds the child and you are reconciled to that child. Man, are you thankful for that security guard at that point? Are you thankful for that associate at, at the store who saw your child? And I know that when I was working retail, if I saw a kid by themselves, I would always immediately try to find out where the parent was. Why? Because I don't like seeing little kids on their own. I'm afraid something's going to happen to them. And so what, was I, what would I do? I would do my best to reconcile that child with their parent. And how many of y'all, seriously, that's what you would do. You, you feel the same way when you see a, a small child away from their parent. That's, that's what you want to do. Well, that's the same ministry that God gave us, that ministry of reconciliation. When you look around at everybody in the world that God created, He created them to have a relationship with the Father. But He is not their Father until they're born again. What are we supposed to do? We have the ministry of reconciling that person where I take that person's hand and I connect it to the hand of God. That's the ministry of reconciliation, all right? That's the ministry that God has given us. Look at verse 19. To wit, that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto Himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, so He didn't lay their sins on them, and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. The word of reconciliation. The word of reconciliation. Let's all say that. You ready? The word of reconciliation. Let's say it again. The word of reconciliation. Luke, God has committed that word of reconciliation to you. God has committed that word of reconciliation to you. Do you all get that? God has committed that word of reconciliation to you. He committed it to you. He put it, He gave it to your trust. Is that what the Bible says? So everybody that's saved, if you are a new creature, He has committed to you the reconciliation, that word of reconciliation. What are you supposed to do with that word? Wow, I'm going to keep this in a private place just for me. Precious. No. God gave me that word to speak to someone else. Amen. That's what we... We have a word 
of reconciliation. And that is the word of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus loves you so much that He died on the cross for you so that you can go to heaven. You don't have to go to hell in your sin. Jesus paid for that. He doesn't want to impute your trespasses on you. Later on in the chapter, we see He took all that on Himself. And we're just supposed to tell people about it. It's time to take a stand. Look at how we stand. Verse 22. Eventually. Verse 20. Eventually. Um, when we feel like it. Oh, what's it say? Hmm. Everyone, what's it say? Now, now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God did beseech you by us, we pray you in Christ's stead, be ye reconciled to God. We are the ambassadors. We are the ones who has committed the word of reconciliation and we communicate that to someone else. We do that when we stand and we speak the truth. That is our job. And we are to do that when worldly leaders stand against us. Go back to John chapter 18. It is interesting, again, in verse 14, Now Caiaphas was he which gave counsel to the Jews that it was expedient that one man should die for the people. I want you to understand something. What he meant for evil, God meant for good. The Bible says, when we looked at the verse earlier this morning, downstairs, in Acts chapter 2 and verse 23, God, by determinate counsel... But, or, uh, let's look at it. Acts chapter 2. I don't want to say it wrong. Acts 2, verse 23. Him, speaking of Jesus, being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, ye have taken and by wicked hands have crucified and slain, whom God hath raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be holden of it. Isn't it cool? It's not possible. It is not possible that Jesus Christ could stay dead. It is not possible. But what I want you to see from that passage is that Caiaphas did this. He is responsible for it by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God. It's very important that you get this. God is in control. His plan for the ages will be accomplished, but those leaders are still responsible for their choices and their actions. Is that right? Caiaphas thought he had a plan. But I can tell you this. I can tell you this. When the world was arrayed against the disciples, it was time for them to stand. And it was time for Peter to stand. Secondly, I want you to see, when they know your name, when the leaders know your name, it's time to stand. Look at what it says in verse 15. And Simon Peter followed Jesus, and so did another disciple. Now, that's the way that John would talk about himself in the text. So that's John. And Simon Peter followed Jesus, and so did John. That disciple, John, was known unto the high priest and went in with Jesus into the palace of the high priest. He was not hiding. John 
was not hiding. And how was he known to the high priest? He was a fisherman. How was it that the high priest knew who John was? Because James and John were called the sons of thunder. The sons of thunder. Now, John is called the beloved disciple. And when you get to the gospel of 1 John later in his life, you see the love that he has for his people and the godly pastor that he was. But he's also the one that wanted to call down fire from heaven and kill the enemies of Jesus Christ. Sons of thunder. And so what did John do? John walked in with Jesus. When the people that were going to kill Jesus knew his name. I want you to know there are people in our community that know that you name the name of Jesus Christ. Amen? So when trouble comes, are you going to stand? Are you going to stand? John did. John did. It was time for him to stand. Praise God. Look at what it says next. Look at verse 16. But Peter stood at the door without, then went out that other disciple which was known unto the high priest, and spake unto her that kept the door, and brought in Peter. So what John did was there was a girl keeping the door. John went in, scoped it out, and said to the girl, go tell Peter that it's okay to come in. Go tell Peter that it's okay to come in. So what I want you to see here is it's time to stand when a brother in Christ asks you to stand with him. You're about to go in. You're about to confront a leader about something. And a brother in Christ says, hey, will you come with me? Will you stand with me? You know, all of you. Isn't it better to stand with someone than stand alone? The Bible talks about a two and three uh, uh, cord rope. It's stronger than one that's on its own. There are times when we need someone to stand with us. Have you ever had to stand by yourself? That's a lonely place. That is a lonely place. Young people, not only do I want you to be the one that takes a stand like John, I want you to be the one that when asked, will go along and take a stand with your friend. And it'll be a stand for godliness. It'll be a stand for holiness. It will be a stand for the Lord Jesus Christ. John was known. Peter wasn't known. It was time for them to stand. John wanted Peter to be with him. And John gave Peter a chance to stand before a simple maid. Look at what happened. Verse 17, Then saith the damsel that kept the door unto Peter, Art not thou one of this man's disciples? He saith, I'm not. I'm not. Look, it was Peter's chance to take a stand before a common person. So you're at the gas station, you're talking to somebody, and they make a statement about Jesus Christ. They make a statement about righteousness. They make a statement about the Scriptures. That's time. That is the time for you to stand before the common person. Amen? That is the time. If you're not going to stand before the common person, what are you going to do when you have to stand before the leader? We prepare for the leader by taking a stand in our everyday situations. Here was the person just holding the door. And Peter was afraid to take the stand. Let me ask you a question. 
Did Peter need man camp? No. No. He was just willing to die. He was willing to take a sword and fight. He was willing to do that. Is that right? He, did, he didn't understand what was going on. He thought Jesus was going to establish his kingdom. Now he's going to go be killed. He, he just was confused. He didn't know what to do. And he didn't take a stand. Then, when you're interacting with the enemies of Christ, it's time to take a stand. He had just been confronted by a common person. But now look at what happens in verse 18. And the servants and officers stood there who had made a fire of coals, for it was cold, and they warmed, warmed themselves. And Peter stood with them and warmed himself. The high priest then asked Jesus and his disciples of his doctrine. Now, what we find, if you drop down to verse 25, and Simon Peter stood and warmed himself, they said, Therefore unto him, art not thou one, also one of his disciples? He denied it and said, I am not. One of the servants of the high priest, being his kinsman, whose, ears Peter, whose ear Peter cut off, saith, Did not I see him in the garden with him? Peter then denied again, and immediately the cock crew. And Jesus had told him he'd deny it before the cock crowed. Now, so Peter had denied the Lord before the common person, and now he's standing there with the enemies of Christ, and he denies again. Now, we, we as at least people my age and, and older, we had a chance to live in a country that was not the enemy of Christ. Amen? God bless America. We used to sing those songs. And you'd see those, those, those sentiments in government. But over the last 40 years, and really starting with the Supreme Court decision in the 1960s, God has been systematically removed from the government, from the schools, from the public arena, which, of course, is blatantly unconstitutional. That is blatantly unconstitutional. And so it, and it feels like the last 10 years it has really accelerated. And so now you and I live for the first time in the United States of America that is openly hostile to the United or to the Lord Jesus Christ. We have a president that hates biblical Christianity. You, know, you need to understand this. He and his followers hate us. They hate us. Every one of their policies is designed to diminish our influence and to require us to violate our consciences and then be forced to take it. It's interesting. It is interesting. that we have a group of young people, young families, who are going to be raising their children in a country that is openly and aggressively hostile toward the Lord Jesus Christ and His followers. So if we're not preparing right now, young people, if you're not preparing, if you're not preparing, for that, 
by taking a stand among your friends and among people at school or on the ball team who speak against the Lord Jesus Christ and your faith, who speak against plain righteousness. I was just talking with someone yesterday. He uh, he teaches the singles class, the, the young adult class out at Lancaster Baptist Church where West Coast Baptist College is. And he said this. I just asked him to talk to me about their uh, young adult ministry. And listen to the thing that he said surprised him. So all of you young people, look at me, okay? And all of you young adults, look at me. He said the thing that surprised me the most was how little prepared the, the young people that had grown up at their church were to answer the questions that were being asked them out in the culture, like gender identity. Who are you to say that I'm not a girl? I'm a girl. Y'all heard who the newest X-Men character is? Bruce Jenner? Y'all heard that? Uh, So if I feel like today, as the great theologian Shania Twain said, I feel like a woman. So if I said today that I feel like a woman, who are you to say I don't? How do we answer those questions? The, now, all of us that are my age, we're just looking at that like, you've lost your ever-loving mind. What in the world? Well, I'm the President of the United States. Who are you to say I'm not? Well, that's ridiculous. There's a better chance of me being President of the United States than me being a woman. Right? And so, for those of us of a certain generation... These kinds of questions, they're the they're absurd. Um, explain to me why holes are empty. <laughs> well, that's a tough one. I don't because there's nothing in them. I don't know. That's the world that we're living in. Amen? That's the world that we're living in. And so, because those of us who grew up in a culture that was at least friendly toward Christianity, well, not expressly Christian... You're not a Christian unless you're saved. Amen? So they, they might not have been expressly Christian, but they were friendly toward Christianity. Zoning laws in every city were friendly toward churches. That's all changing because we have a culture that is openly and aggressively anti-Jesus Christ. So if we're not ready to take a stand among our peers, among our friends, among the common people, then we will not be prepared to stand before the enemies of Jesus Christ. Folks, we must be prepared. And i got to tell you, you parents, make sure you have your kids in church. I want you to think about something. Often, and if you've had a conversation with me about this, this was going to be said regardless of the conversation, okay? So don't think that it's personal. But the, the idea is this. Have you ever heard someone say this? I don't want to make my kids go to church. Have you ever heard somebody say that? How many of you ever heard somebody say that? And my response to that is, do you ask their opinion about whether or not they want to go to, the, go to school? Well, I'm afraid they're going to resent education. 
Do you make them go to the dentist? Isaiah, do you want to go to the dentist and have your head have a hole drilled in it today? (laughs) Yes. But I'm afraid to do that because he might, in the future, he might resent dentists. It really doesn't make sense, does it? Does it make sense? Anyone? Does it make sense? It is amazing to me how many dads will make their kids play football. Dad, it hurts. Get in there, son. You need to man up. I don't want to go to church. Well, I understand. (laughs) Are you all with me on this? And what happens is, here's what you hear. Well, I know somebody that was forced to go to church, and now they won't have anything to do with it. Right? Well, I know people that really, honestly, they went to school, and now they're really stupid. So let's not have our kids go to school. And the people said, it's very interesting the way that we think. Now listen, there are two reasons, there are two reasons why kids who were forced to go to church walk away from God later. Number one, mom and dad are hypocrites because they're making the kids come to church while living like the devil at home. Number two, kid doesn't want to serve God. You know, there are people who just choose to walk away from God, don't want to have anything to do with them. That's not because their parents make me make them go to church. It's because they don't want to serve God. Because once you get them in church, man, they have a blast with their friends. They hear the gospel. That When you watch these kids, go down and just stand outside the youth room sometime and watch how miserable the kids are. It's a blast. They have a great time. So what, if, if we are going to prepare our kids to stand in the next generation, that means they must be around other people who are standing and they need to be under teaching that teaches them how to stand. Amen. So here's what I want you to do. Somebody say, what was it? I can't, I can't say it just right. The guy said that... Uh, that he was on drugs when he was young. He was drugged to church Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night. (laughs) Look, young people, you need to be around God's people who will help you to stand so that you don't have to stand alone. But if you are required to stand alone, then you have been prepared and you know how. You have the answers. You have the answers. Man, you you guys are awesome. I love the young people, whether it's the the young people here or our young adults. I love the people that God has brought to Grace Baptist Church and the stand that they are taking, whether it's in the military or whether it's in the school or whether it's on the ball field or with their friends or in the extended family. I know many of you, you give the gospel and you try to live out your faith to family members who don't believe. Man, I'm so thankful for that. And I believe we have a vital role in preparing them to do that. And we do that by standing. We as parents do it by standing in the culture today. We stand for the, before the common man and we stand before the leaders because Jesus Christ is our Lord. Jesus Christ is our King. And He's worth it. We take our stand. Then, not only that, when... Leaders want to use your doctrine against you. And look at how Jesus handled it. Look at verse 19. The high priest then asked Jesus, 
of His disciples and of His doctrine. Now, do you think Jesus Christ was going to stand up there and say, well, you need to go get John, you need to go get Peter, you need to go get... No, no, look at what Jesus did. Jesus answered him, I spake openly to the world. I ever taught in the synagogue and in the temple, whither the Jews always resort, and in secret have I said nothing. Why askest thou me? Ask them which heard me what I have said unto them. Behold, they know what I said. Have you ever seen a Christian on television trying to explain some point of doctrine? It, honestly, honestly, it would be like Harry Starnes trying to explain how a propeller works to me. Right? I don't even understand the language. Have you ever watched a doctor try to explain to somebody what's going on? Have you ever left a doctor or a surgery for your parents or your grandparents and you don't really know what's happened? Has that ever happened? You don't feel like you have the information? Why? Because you'd have to go to medical school to understand everything that's going on. You, he can, he can and, and praise God for the doctors that really do try to explain it to us, but there's some of it we're just not equipped to understand it. Is that helpful? So if you came to me and I had, you're going to defend some mathematical theory to me. You've got to understand something. I'm a mathematical idiot. <laughs> All right? And so if you're going to try and explain, I am not equipped to receive that information. That's why Jesus Christ said we're not supposed to cast our pearls before swine. Right? Have you ever seen a well-dressed pig? A well-bedazzled pig? You ever seen that? They didn't do it on their own and they don't stay that way. Why? Why? It's not intended for them. That's what Jesus Christ was saying. And so Jesus did not stand before this religious leader and explain His doctrine. Why? Number one, He was not interested in His doctrine. He was looking for a way to kill Him. And number two, he wasn't interested in his disciples. He wanted to kill his disciples. So what are we supposed to do? We're supposed to have wisdom in how we stand. Now, if you try to explain the, the premillennial, pre-tribulational eschatology that we espouse, people are going to go, what? And here's what happens. People come to you with stuff out of Leviticus. And they say, oh, it says that you're supposed to kill a teenager. Do you believe that? You say you believe the Bible. Do you believe that? You need to slow your roll. Here's how I would answer that. You, you, you don't have any idea what you're talking about. You didn't find that by reading the Bible. You found that on some pagan's blog. You don't have any idea what you're talking about. So let's make a deal. I have studied your position. You read the Bible... You read Christian theology so you understand the place of Leviticus in the Bible and in Christianity, and then come back to me and we'll have the conversation. Do you think they're going to do that? Now, if they genuinely want the answer, do you know what they're going to do? They're going to do that. If there's somebody that just hates God, they're not going to do it, and you've not wasted your breath trying to get a pagan to understand Leviticus. 
when half of Christianity doesn't understand Leviticus. Amen? So not only are we supposed to take a stand, we're supposed to know how to stand when our doctrine is attacked. We take doctrinal stands. Amen? Let me give you an example. Um, So Billy Graham. Billy Graham has taken some doctrinal stands that Grace Baptist Church would disagree with. Do you all agree with that? Right? So He said that the Pope preached the same gospel that he does. That's what Billy Graham said. Okay? The Pope would tell you he preached a different gospel than Billy Graham did. And I think he was just trying to be kind. I really do. I think uh, that, that Billy Graham was trying to be kind. I really do. But it was a wrong statement. And especially here in Shelby County, that does not help us give people the gospel. Right? Things that are different are not the same. And yet, and yet, if someone said, what do you think about what Billy Graham told President Bush about the gospel? I'd say, praise God, I'm glad he gave him the gospel. Franklin Graham gives the gospel on Larry King or on whatever, Greta Van Susteren. When he gives the gospel, tells people they need to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior and repent of their sins. Do you know what I say? Praise God. Amen. And if Greta Van Susteren asked me what I disagree with Billy Graham on, I'm not going to tell her. I'm not going to tell her. I'll tell you here at Grace Baptist Church. I'll tell you here at Grace Baptist Church. What was Jesus Christ doing? Jesus Christ recognized that that doctrinal issue, the doctrinal issues he was being questioned about, were not the issue. And what we need to understand, when the enemies of God come against the gospel of Jesus Christ, that we stand with those who preach the gospel. Amen? That doesn't mean that we're going to go to Promise Keepers and join with the Billy Graham crusade. We're not going to do that. Billy Graham crusade, when they bring people together, they, they, they have an invitation, they have a visitor's card, and they say, what church did you come from? You say, I came from Holy Angels. They're going to give that card to Holy Angels to follow up with you on. Is that going to help your growth in the Lord Jesus Christ and your new birth? So can we do that? Can we participate in that? No. No, 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 we can't. But, man, praise God for him to get saved Billy Graham crusade. My parents got saved. My grandparents got saved watching Billy Graham on television. Hallelujah! Praise God, we're going to be in heaven together. Let me ask you a question. That distinction that I just made about an invitation and sending that individual back to the Catholic Church to be taught the Scriptures. We know here at Grace Baptist... Now, if you're a visitor and you don't know this, I'm happy to talk with you about it. But we at Grace Baptist Church, we know that that's not the right thing to do. Would you all agree with that? Okay. Give me a real hearty amen. Just in case there are people here who aren't familiar with Grace Baptist Church. We know that's the wrong thing to do. Amen. Amen. But do you think a lost person, a lost television commentator, and a lost audience can understand that distinction? They don't have any idea what a Baptist is. Have you ever seen a Baptist well represented on a television show? No, they're usually the axe murderer. Right? And so this is where it's so important. We stand for Jesus. On the marriage thing, we stand for traditional marriage. That's what we stand for. What about Leviticus? You don't have any idea what Leviticus is teaching. Don't even bring it up. 
That's the answer. You don't understand. Then, it's time to stand. When persecution is imminent. See, it's time to stand at the gas station. But it's also time to stand when persecution is imminent. Look at verse 22. And when he had thus spoken, one of the officers which stood by struck Jesus with the palm of his hand, saying, Answerest thou the high priest so? Jesus answered him, If I have spoken evil, bear witness of the evil. But if well, why smitest thou me? Jesus seemed really afraid, didn't he? Now, what did he do? In the face of trouble, in the face of imminent persecution, he was not cowed. He stood. He stood. Then, when asked direct questions about Jesus, we read the text a minute ago. Look at what it says in verse 25. And Simon Peter stood and warmed himself. They said therefore unto him, Art not thou also one of his disciples? He denied it and said, I am not. When asked a direct question about Jesus. Young people, what do you do when somebody asks you if you're a Christian? Yes. Yes, I am. And, and, and here's what you followed up on. Here's, here's how you follow that up. And let me tell you what I mean by that. Then you tell them who Jesus is. That is, He's God who was born of a virgin. He lived a sinless life. He died on the cross for my sins. He didn't have any sins of His own. He died on the cross for my sins. He was buried. Then three days later, He rose from the dead. And He lives today. He's my Savior. That's what it means to be a Christian. He's my Lord. And I follow him. So, yes, I'm a Christian. Can you imagine what people... Oh, okay. Wow. That's so much different than... You know, you have some rapper that's just wicked as the devil and at the Emmys or whatever award they get, he stands up... First, I want to thank God. Because that person would call themselves a Christian. Well, no. if that's who you are, please don't tell anybody you're a Christian. Please don't just keep that quiet. Down here. It's really important that we get this. You stand when you know it's going to cause you trouble. And you stand boldly. Anything else is to deny Christ. And that's what Peter did. Then, when confronted by religious hypocrisy, when confronted by religious hypocrisy. Look at verse 28. Then they led Jesus from Caiaphas unto the hall of judgment, and it was early, and they themselves went not into the judgment hall, lest they should be defiled, but that they might eat the Passover. They didn't want to go into the Gentile place of judgment because they wanted to eat the Passover. But they were committing murder. They were lying about Jesus and were trying to kill Him. So, you know, I better not walk into this building because that'll defile me. Kill him, kill him, kill him, kill Is that hypocrisy? Is that hypocrisy? Can I tell you something? Young people, I promise you, you are going to spend the rest of your lives surrounded by religious hypocrisy. Well, I would live right, but I knew a Christian who. Right? 
uh, there, there was a story, and this is the best illustration of this I know. World War II, there was a submarine that had gone down, and there was no way to recover people from the submarine. Well, someone had the idea that they would bring another submarine down, and they joined the two hatches. First time it had ever happened. And all of these men from the submarine down below were able to climb up through the hatch into another submarine, and they could be saved alive. Now, can you imagine? I'm not going to go up there. There's a guy. He lied. He said he was a Christian. I'm not getting in that submarine with him. How many of you think that happened? No. No, 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 no. Why not? Why not? Because they were confronted with reality. Can I promise you the reality? You're going to meet people who claim to be Christians and may be Christians who don't live like it. That should have absolutely nothing to do with your stand for Jesus Christ. These were the religious leaders of their day. They were the religious leaders of the nation. And they were modeling nothing but blatant rejection of the Messiah and hypocrisy. And what were the disciples of Jesus required to do? Stand. They're supposed to stand. I promise you that you will face religious hypocrisy. might be from your parents. I hope not. But I can promise you this, Jacob. I'll bet you that you have seen me behave in ways that are not Christian. Mostly because you drive me crazy. No. I'll bet you, you know, I imagine living in our home, he has seen us behave in a way that does not reflect Christ well. And we're responsible for that. Amen? But you're responsible to live for Jesus. Regardless of what we... If I walk away from the Lord, you're responsible to live for Jesus. Amen. Not that I'm planning to do that. Don't. That's not an announcement. We have been confronted with religious hypocrisy. It's all around us. I'll give you an example. 1973, Roe v. Wade was passed. And that allowed the murder of children. The same year, the Endangered Species Act was passed. And you'll get fined $100,000 if you destroy a sea turtle egg. Well, no, wait a minute. That's not a sea turtle. That's potential sea turtle. No, no. Imagine, you can kill the baby. You can kill the baby in the womb. Chop it up and sell its parts. Make sure that it's still living when you harvest the brain so that you can sell it. But don't touch the sea turtle egg. Is that hypocrisy? That's hypocrisy, isn't it? We just need to stand and tell the truth. We need to look at those people and say, you've lost your mind. You're evil. You're wicked. You're a murderer. Sea turtle. You understand the world would be fine if there were no sea turtles? I've never even seen one. I'm great. (laughs) And I'll bet they taste lovely. Babies or sea turtles? Is that hypocrisy? Man, we've got to stand. Religious hypocrisy. We stand when confronted. It's just time to stand. And then we saw Jesus standing before religious leaders, and he answered. But now he's being questioned by government leaders. Verse 31, or verse 29, Pilate then went out unto them and said, What accusation bring ye against this man? They answered and said unto him, If he were not a malefactor, we would not have delivered him up unto thee. Then said Pilate unto them, Take ye him and judge him according to your law. The Jews therefore said unto him, It is not lawful for us to put any man to death, that the saying of Jesus might be fulfilled, 
which he spake, signifying what death he should die. Then Pilate entered into the judgment hall and called Jesus and said unto him, Art thou the king of the Jews? Jesus answered him, Sayest thou this thing of thyself, or did others tell it thee of me? Do you see that's that same answer on Leviticus? Do you see that? The same answer. Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Thine own nation and the chief priests have delivered thee unto me. What hast thou done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then would my servants fight that I should not be delivered to the Jews. Would you look at the next two words? But now is my kingdom not from hence. That means it's not going to be. Amen? But now. And I want you to get something. Everybody look up here with me. And I'm almost done. Those words, but now, but now, that is in every Greek manuscript in existence that has or that contains John 18.36. But it's in none of the modern translations. How many of you think the fact that Jesus Christ is going to establish His kingdom is an important point? Amen. All right? But now is my kingdom not from hence. Pilate therefore said unto him, Art thou a king then? Jesus answered, Thou sayest that I was a king, that I am a king. To this end was I born, and for this cause came I into the world, that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone that is of the truth heareth my voice. Pilate saith unto him, What is truth? When he had said this, he went out again unto the Jews, and saith unto them, I find in him no fault at all. But ye have a custom that I should release unto you one at the Passover. Will ye therefore that I release unto you the king of the Jews? Then cried they all again, saying, Not this man, but Barabbas. Now, Barabbas was a robber. Can I tell you something? This is such a perfect picture. The world loves thieves more than they love Jesus. Amen? The world loves thieves and robbers and insurrectionists and seditionists. That's, Barabbas was all of those things. More than they love Jesus. So let's not look to the world for approval. Let's look to Jesus for approval. Amen? Hey, everybody, you know what time it is? It's time to stand. It's time to stand. Let's all stand. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, one of the things that is so...